We are really pleased and very excited to be able to have Ashley Cabral with us today. And she is a BCBA uh, with Savita Health. And Savita is a na nationwide organization that provides uh, healthcare uh, assistance uh, to a range of uh, different uh, needs, uh, including ABA therapy, which is her specialty. She graduated from Bridgewater State University a few years ago and has been uh, in this world uh, before and now after. And uh, she is a blessing. I yes. mentioned to you a few minutes ago that she was also a technical advisor with us on our book. And I'll be honest with you, the book, Ministering Special, Children with Special Needs, uh, the parts that she didn't technically advise, she also had a hand in because in many ways she kind of helped us through the journey uh, in a lot of ways. And I actually let Diane kind of give you a little bit of that. And then we're going to kind of start getting into a little bit of discussion. And we're going to try to keep it fairly structured because as you all know, uh, it's easy to get on rabbit trails with this kind of uh, thing. But we asked Ashley to be here today because we want her to give us more of a scientific uh, perspective of the uh, issues that are at hand. And she can talk to those things much better than we can. That's where she's been trained. That's where she uh, uh, lives, if you will. And so uh, we're looking forward to having that. But just kind of maybe give a word about how we know her personally. She, she uh, because of HIPAA, she can't say how she knows us. But we can say how we know her. And so we can get around these things. All right. So go ahead. <laughs> So Ashley started working with our family. I think we decided it was 2006, seven. No, what did we say? 18. Six. Kate Payton 18. was two. Yeah. You, we already discussed all of this yeah. and I still we tried forgot. to timeline everything. Okay. I think it was 2018. Um, and she came on AJ's team as his BT. BT stands for behavioral therapist. Um, because um, with his autism, he needs kind of structure and help and learning everyday things that we take for granted that our kids are going to learn. That's kind of a synopsis, very, <laughs> very small one. But, um, and so she was first his BT, but while she was his behavioral therapist, she was going through the process of getting her master's so she could be a BCBA, which is a board certified behavioral analysis, right? Analyst. Analyst. Okay, close. <laughs> um, and so the sad part was when she became a BCBA, she could no longer be AJ's BT. And I was so very sad. And so she left us for a little while, but then his AJ's current BCBA left the company and we quickly snagged her and got her back. So she's basically his case manager. And so she overlooks all of his um, therapies and, um, um, help me with the word, like his, his treatment plan, his treatment plan. Progress, yeah. And so she'll set all up the things that we're going to work on with him. And then she trains his BTs on what therapies to do in our home. Um, to help AJ be successful. And then during the course of that time, Ashley sat down with me one day and said, um, you know, what what are your biggest struggles as a, as a parent with AJ? What are you struggling with the most? And I said, honestly, church. It's a nightmare. I, did, I, I, I hate coming to church. <laughs> it was so stressful. And so she was very sweet, and she um, started coming to church on Sundays with AJ and observed his environment. And a lot of the things that we implement in our book and a lot of the things, almost everything that we're going to talk about today, are because of her influence in our life. And she made church enjoyable again. And, and we're kind of in an interesting situation because we're not just AJ's parents, but we're also the pastor and pastor's wife of the church. And so we have a lot of responsibilities on a Sunday. It's, it's a work day. Mm -hmm. And she just was able to come in and taught us so much on how to make um, this environment um, 
more successful for AJ. And in turn, we've been able to use that with other special needs kids that God's brought into our church. So we're very thankful for her. So what we're going to do is ask her some questions. Think she, she's got a preview of them, so yes. it's, it's not too much on the spot. But we're going <laughs> to ask her some questions so that she can talk about basically three of the things that we think are the biggest kind of um, mysteries, if you would, mm -hmm. of special needs ministry. Okay? So the first question we want to ask you, Ashley, is what does the term sensory processing mean? Yeah, so sensory processing, we all do it. It's our ability to receive information through our senses. So each human has sensory processing. Um, so that's just like an overall general definition of sensory processing. So then what does it mean if a child has sensory processing disorder? So when it becomes a disorder is when we're noticing that their ability um, to receive information through the senses is dysregulated or is not found to be within typical developmental range. Um, so sensory processing disorder um, is really when that inability to process that information starts to affect um, that individual's quality of life. So an example of that would be... Um, like we already kind of talked about in our mm -hmm. earlier session for those that were in here, it could be something as simple as light, where mm -hmm. we process the information as light. But for someone that has sensory processing disorder, it gets scrambled, mm -hmm. and the light can actually cause pain. Yeah. Um, and and it's, like you said, it, it makes their entire quality of life mm -hmm. lower. Right. Um, we're going to talk about this a little bit in the, in the next session, but um, there are other senses involved in sensory processing disorder that are not the main five. Mm -hmm. um, so would you mind talking about those just a little bit? Yeah. So this is definitely more in like an occupational therapy kind of area of expertise, but as a behavior analyst and, and working with children with autism, we do see sensory processing disorder kind of go in line with that diagnosis as well. Um, but basically, there's um, vestibular and there's proprioceptive, if I'm saying it correctly because that's always a tongue tie for me, um, and then interception. So vestibular, think of it as your balance. Um, so for children that might have some um, challenges with balance um, can lead to issues with sitting in a chair for long periods of time because they feel off balance. Um, interception is how the body is feeling. So if you're feeling pain, if you're feeling hunger, again, we all process that and we all feel those things. But for children with sensory processing disorder, if they're having challenges with pain or that kind of stimulation, you know, what might be painful or not painful for us is extremely painful for them. It's almost like we see kind of like an over-exaggeration of sensory input. Um, so that's definitely in line with what we see. And then proprioceptive is spatial awareness. Right. So do they have the ability to navigate their environment successfully where they're not, you know, bumping into things, bumping into other people, and looking at that a little bit. So those are the, the three that we tend to see as possible areas of difficulty for children with autism. So I'll give you a practical example of that. Um, AJ definitely, we see the vestibular with AJ. Mm -hmm. um, and... So, for example, our son can spin yeah. five minutes, maybe. <laughs> I know. I'm jealous that he can spin that much. And, and not be dizzy. Doesn't get dizzy. It does yeah. not make him dizzy. Yeah. And sometimes, and, and I still don't fully understand, I, I don't know that anybody understands the why mm -hmm. behind this, 
but sometimes he needs to spin. Mm -hmm. Is there a little bit that you can give us on that? Like why why does he why do he why does he need mm -hmm. have the need to spin or you know whatever other actions might come in with sensory processing disorder? Yeah, with sensory processing disorder, we see two things. We see either avoidance or needing of the input. So avoidance would be so for a child, um, you know, having had the experience of working with AJ. Sound is triggering for him. Um, he needs to block out sound in certain situations or environments. Um, so that's a, an, a, an example of an avoidance of a sensory input. Now, seeking sensory input is where we see things such as the repetitive actions of spinning and, and those types of things. And the fidget toys is another Chewing one. We'll another one Chewing right? is another one as well as a sensory input. And um, what happens in those situations is that it actually lights up parts of the brain when there is that sensory input. It can actually increase neurotransmitters that actually are involved when it comes to increasing attention and focus. So for children like AJ that do need that seekiness of that sensory input in that environment, it actually helps them with attention and focus. So where this would apply in a classroom setting would be something like, let's say, um, just an example would be, Let's say you start your junior church off with all of the kids together in one space and you maybe do some songs together or whatever and then you would break off into your individual classrooms. As a teacher, we want get in line, stand in line, walk together, walk quietly, walk to your classroom, okay? For AJ, that's difficult because balance is an issue for him. So standing in a line and walking straight in a line is, is challenging and he may need some support in that kind of environment. And again, we're not saying that, you know, um, what am I trying to say? We're not making an a, um, excuse yeah. for mm -hmm. behaviors. But understanding that your students might need some support. Mm -hmm. And that's a way, like we said earlier, to show Christ's love to them by giving them that support that they need. If you have a child like AJ that needs to spin or that needs to fidget in order for his brain to work properly, it is then cruel and unusual punishment mm -hmm. to remove that from him if that's something that he needs to do the task you're asking him to do. Does right. anyone feel overwhelmed by all of this that you're hearing right now? <laughs> um, Sorry, it took us well, years. <laughs> I would say if you if you do now imagine how that, that input that you're getting that overwhelms you, mm -hmm. imagine how the input of a song service could right. be uh, difficult for a child because of the noise that is there which to us is beautiful hymns right. but to a child is is almost unbearable pain as if they were putting their hand on a stove or something right. like mm -hmm. that and so that's where if you're feeling like oh boy how do i deal with this right now well we're just giving you a little bit of understanding uh, of what that could be like because the stimuli uh may make you feel like that so um let's do this we're going to have our ask uh question and answer section in a little bit but uh, if you have a follow-up to what Ashley said before, we, we kind of want to keep moving to make sure we make the best use of all of her expertise this morning, which if we can squeeze all of her expertise into 45 minutes, then we've done a great job. Yeah, we, I don't think we that's can't. possible. But uh, if you have a follow-up to something that she said so that we can address it now while, you know, while she's here, I'd love to be able to hear you. We just want to get you on the microphone. Is there anybody? Do you have a question? Jamie wants to put that he microphone in your face. I can tell. <laughs> he is on the edge of his seat. Yeah. If someone's thinking of a question, another way this would be practical is if you have stairs in your building, if, you're, if, if a child is required to walk 
from a downstairs to an upstairs area of your building. They might need some, um, even if you think that their mobility, like they can walk fine, they can run and jump. Mm -hmm. AJ can run and jump and all no those problem. things. But mm -hmm. stairs are difficult for him, and that has to do with his spatial awareness. Mm -hmm. He is he's not always aware of where his body is in relation to other things. So, like, if I close my eyes, I know how far away Ashley is from me. I know how far away my husband is from me. That's because of a sense that I have that God's given me. For AJ, that doesn't process properly. For a lot of kids, that doesn't process properly. And so for the longest time, AJ going upstairs would go up them like monkey style. And mm -hmm. he would use hands and feet yeah. to go up, up the stairs because he needed to touch the next step with his hands to know where to put his foot. So it's just something to be aware of with these students that are in your class. They may need you know, some help or just watchfulness for them while they go up the stairs so they don't get trampled or, or feel unsafe, yeah. which will then spiral to when they get things. into your classroom because mm -hmm. that's that's your beginning of that emotional dysregulation. That's where it starts, and it's just going to keep spiraling in your class. Mm -hmm. so, any, any questions about that? I'll give you one more chance. All right. Seeing none, moving on uh, <laughs> to that. Uh, our next session coming up at 11.15 is going to be about... Uh, fidgets and uh, those type of tools. We call them toys, but they're really tools and why uh, they are so important. And we actually have some really good handouts to give you about that uh, in our next session. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, we want to cover in the next session the more practical application of them. But we were hoping that Ashley would give us a little bit of insight uh, scientifically uh, why they're so important. So not just uh, fidgets, but also uh, visual schedules because mm -hmm. uh, both of those have been really, really helpful to AJ. Um, and have been a game changer, I would say, at church for him. Mm -hmm. So uh, talk to us about both of those, if you would. Yeah, so um, visual schedules are definitely very easily incorporated in a classroom environment. Um, it's really, it's like Diane was mentioning earlier, it doesn't really cost a lot. Um, it's really just, you know, having access to a printer and laminator, really. Um, and what's great about incorporating visuals is that it creates a um, consistent stimulus in the environment, meaning that you don't necessarily have to pull out the visual schedule each time, go over th each routine on the schedule. If you have it posted in your classroom, it's that consistent support right there on your wall. Um, so visual schedules are great because it teaches multiple things. It teaches executive functioning skills, right? So how we would look at visual schedules for us as adults, is our planners, right. is our agendas, is our uh, calendars on our, on our iPhone, it's our Google Gmail calendars, right? Um, it's it's a, just a way to have everything organized in a way that helps to understand transitions, it helps to understand what is coming, which is a big, big deal, especially for children that do have issues with executive functioning skills. And we do see issues with executive functioning skills in children with autism, but we also do see mm -hmm. it in children with ADHD. Right. Um, so it's not just like an autism thing, right? It's just setting them up for success, which I know Diane had talked about that earlier. Um, and so... Can, I want to say, can, I, can I stop you just say, when you say executive yeah. functioning oh, skills, yes. can you, can you give us... Yeah. yeah. No, it's okay. No, no, no. no. <laughs> just uh, just, just walk good. us back a little bit to that. It's okay. Um, yeah. Executive functioning skills is just our ability to organize. It's our ability of task management. So... One way that I've taught AJ, if I can share, yeah, is ahead, um, right. uh, using a task analysis. So with AJ, he tends to have um, challenges or difficulties around organization or understanding multi-different steps that exist in a task. 
So for example, loading and unloading of a dishwasher is a skill that we taught AJ. Um, and I could have very easily just said, AJ, unload the dishwasher, right? right. But what does that mean? So for children with autism and even children with ADHD, that's overwhelming to be told to do a task that involves multiple steps and they don't know in what order to do those steps. So just like the visual schedule where you do have that order of events, the task analysis provides an order of the steps. Mm -hmm. So with AJ, what we noticed was um, he was so successful with the task analysis where we laid out, you know, step one, step two, step three, and all of the, the tasks that he needed to complete in order to finally unload the dishwasher. And then over time, what I noticed um, was that we didn't even need it hung up anymore. Right. He, right. he instantly Internalized knew. it. Yeah, yeah, he instantly knew that step one led to step two, led to step three. And that is our anticipation when it comes to having, um, you know, these uh, these needs and these accommodations in the classroom environment, right? What does it mean when it's when a teacher says, okay, let's get ready, we're about to begin, what should that mean? Should right. that mean, you know, putting toys away, sitting down at my chair or desk or on the circle board, for example? So executive functioning skills, again, is how do we organize our expectations or tasks for the day or for a particular activity. And it could even be as far as, let's say, like for AJ, he's highly motivated by snacks. He loves mm -hmm. snack time, yeah. right? So I am too. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. But, so we have a show of hands. But let's say, for example, he associates church with gummy worms, okay? just This is a basic example. Church means I get gummy worms. From the minute he gets up in the morning to the minute he gets into the car to the minute he gets to this property, all he is thinking about is gummy worms because he knows at church his teacher gives him gummy worms. Where the visual schedule is helpful is it reminds him he doesn't get gummy worms until the visual schedule says snack time. And I know that this seems like really obvious and simple, but for kids like AJ, it is imperative and it is really setting you as the teacher up for success. Now, I will say we've got to have a, 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 an extra expert on our panel today. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it. He, um, I will say when you implement, and I don't say if, I say when you implement a visual schedule in your classroom, it is imperative that you keep going by the visual schedule. And if for some reason the schedule is going to change, make sure you give ample warning so if you know for example that this next sunday you're going to have uh, a missionary come in and speak and your schedule in your sunday school or junior church is going to be a little different make sure you relay that to mom and dad make sure that you let them know exactly what's going to happen have a conversation with the student remind them when they come in the next week maybe make some kind of visual to help them the next week so that because if you give them the schedule there, it's law, mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> and if you change it on a dime, you're going to ha have lead to that emotional mm -hmm. dysregulation and to that meltdown. Yeah. And, yeah, and this is a reminder too that these are things you cannot do on Sunday morning on the way to Sunday school. Right. Yeah. Uh, these are things you cannot do on Saturday night uh, because you forgot uh, that this was your week to teach Sunday school, or that uh, you know junior church is this is your month. You know, I know churches do it differently how they do it, um, but uh, it does take some preparation mm -hmm. to be able to do this. But you get yourself into a pattern of doing so, and, and, it, and it makes sense. And we're all 
motivated by routine right. quite a bit. Mm-hmm. By the way, every Baptist I know is motivated by routine <laughs> because they sit in the same seats every right. service, right. Uh, no matter where they go. Right. And so, and if someone sits in their seat, all of a sudden, like, why are you in my seat? Like, well, I didn't see your name on it, but uh, but but it's our seat. Right. We know that. Right. And so, uh, a lot of times, some of these issues uh, that we're talking about. Uh, we have more of an understanding of them than we realize. And we'll even look at that with fidgets and such. Uh, it's the idea of, well, we, we have our own methods of coping with fidgets, but they're just not the same little spinny things necessarily. And they're more socially acceptable. And they're more socially right. acceptable. So, right. um, but, uh, but no, that, that's good. So that's, so that's a visual schedule. Um, I have so much, I feel, I feel like the, like the Grinch, like stopping in the middle of the conversation. We've got to keep moving because I, because uh, I want to make sure we get through all this. Uh, and also the science behind, um, Fidget toys, well, because they came out a few years ago. I think that's it nice. seemed like that they, all of a sudden they were in every gas station, they were in every store. Awesome. Uh, you can buy them everywhere. They were really cool. Uh, and then you know, school started saying don't bring them to school. But for certain families, uh, they weren't this fad toy. They had been something similar that they had been using for some time. So mm-hmm. kind of talk us through that. Why it's not a fad, but it's actually a real helpful tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so before it was considered, like, a fad and, like, the poppet toys were everywhere you went. You went to the gas station, you saw poppet toys, right? Um, A lot of times, my observations from when I worked in a classroom, I would see, um, for example, like, oral input where children would chew their clothes. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I would see, you know, even just, like, chewing on a pen top or a pencil, right? That's all examples of oral input. And it's funny because I I do have to throw this in here. We all do it. Yeah. We all do this, right? right? We all fidget. We all, you know, we have our own little things that we do when we're nervous or when we're feeling overstimulated. So this is not just a sensory processing disorder, I promise. (laughs) We all do it. It's just our way of sometimes calming and increasing our attention and our focus. Um, But as far as... um, so with fidgets um when we started to see kind of that fad and the pop of toys and things like that i think that's when it became a distraction right. for a lot of classroom teachers right. and that's where we saw a lot of um i wouldn't say like backlash but like some protests with some educators like i understand he has sensory processing disorder but i do not want to see another poppet of another right. color in my life in my classroom yeah. um so what it really took is disseminating it or explaining as to why this is successful. And as I mentioned before, whenever we incorporate multiple senses into instruction, concentration does increase. It's a scientific like validity um, to, to that whole area of, of research, right? There is enormous validity to that. Um, So one research uh, study that I recall when I was studying in my master's program is that there was a research where they took uh, two groups of children, one group of children presenting with sensory processing, ADHD. I also think they did have a few um, participants that did have an official autism diagnosis as well. And then they took another group of students that were considered to be what we would say neurotypical, meaning that they're not presenting with any of those challenges. And they put them um, in, uh, well, they attached like little um, little stickers on their head and put the little helmet on just so they can test their brain activity. So what they did was in that uh, research, they noticed that children who were given fidgets, 
So all of them were given fidgets. Both parties were given fidgets. What they noticed in the brains of the children that presented with more challenges, such as ADHD or sensory processing, was that they saw an increase in neurotransmitters in the brain that actually increase attention, focus, and concentration. What they saw in the group of children that were considered to be neurotypical was that it did become distraction. So what we were seeing just in that research is that from what people believe to be distractors are actually not distractors to the population that needs it the most. Right. So with that being said, that's when our science of ABA started to realize, like, this is actually valid research where we can see the scientific... um, proof um, to to the use of fidgets and things like that. So with that being said, whenever I go to conferences, and I think I've told you guys this, whenever we go to ABA conferences um, as a behavior analyst, there's always fidgets. Mm-hmm. There's fidgets in every room. There's fidgets at every marketing table, right? Like Savita has like little fidget toys as well. Um, so it's interesting how not only has it become an important tool for children with autism and sensory processing and even ADHD, but also as adults, like mm-hmm. sometimes we, we notice that, you know, even just fidgeting or having something in our hands, like our pens or something like that, does increase that concentration as well. So talk a little bit about the other end of sensory toys. So mm-hmm. we have the fidgets that help engage the brain. Yeah. But then sometimes we also need to use sensory toys to help de-escalate. Right. So talk about that a little bit because it is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, AJ might need a certain um, fidget to help uh, pay attention to the lesson that's being given. Mm-hmm. But then if the environment gets too rowdy in the classroom, he might need to desensitize himself. Right. So talk a little bit about how you can use sensory tools to um, combat awesome. that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, so what we noticed is that, um, children that do need more of that self-soothing and kind of tying it back to what Diane was saying before with the emotional dysregulation, sometimes when you do see an escalation from zero to a hundred and for children that do present with issues with regulating those emotions, um, we do find that sensory toys such as the glitter bottles where you can flip it upside down and see the glitter fall down actually does increase dopamine in the brain. So it actually helps calm them down as well. And if you think about how it connects to concentration and focus, when you're concentrated and you're focused, you're calm, Mm -hmm. right? You're not stressed. Mm -hmm. You're not panicking. You don't have a release of cortisol or adrenaline in the body. Um, And I can say that when when I do work with AJ, if I do see that he is overstimulated or having just a really rough day, see a rush of adrenaline, a rush of of that cortisol, we don't teach. Correct. We work on just lowering him down from that state. Right. Um, so for some people, the glitter bottle, or for some children for that matter, the glitter bottles are a great way to get them to just calm down, soothe. Um, mm-hmm. Self-regulation or um, self-soothing is a big, big yeah. area that we yeah. work on in ABA too for children. One thing AJ will do is put a blanket over his head. Yes. Yeah. Um, and now when we say we don't teach, it doesn't mean you stop teaching your entire class. Right. It means that you have a section in your in your room where that child can go. And, and most of the time, if you're going to have one or more special needs children in your class, you really should have mm-hmm. an, an aid. Yeah. It's really important. Um, so that aid would then go over um, with the child and not engage with them because the point is they're supposed to be disengaging mm-hmm. to calm themselves down mm-hmm. and and they're just going to be in their little space. They're not disrupting the class. The teacher can keep teaching, keeps going with the schedule, but it gives them their minute 
to kind of, and AJ has learned to ask for that. He mm-hmm. can ask for a break. Now, the interesting thing is we also do that. <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking about this, that this week, you know, when my husband's had a really stressful day, he goes for a run. Mm-hmm. And that's his way of de-stressing. It's his way of, of detaching. You know, maybe you come home and you have a cup of coffee and you mm-hmm. light a candle and you, you know, that's your way of just kind of, you're de-stressing. You go take a bubble bath mm-hmm. or you put some essential oils on or even just watch a TV show, right? Yeah. That's how we cope. We de-stress. But we can tend to push the limit mm-hmm. more like, we know when we get home, I'm going to get to de-stress, you know. Whereas these special needs kids, they need that immediately. Right. Well, we, we know we need to take a break every 45 minutes in here. <laughs> we know we, we, we got to stop, right? And so, uh, it, we, because we know our limits uh, and, and we're, we're aware of that. If you go to a, a big meeting, a conference, uh, like a lot of us will go to for churches, uh, they might have two or three preachers, but uh, one, they usually have a break in between. If not... You'll just see people make their own breaks. And, you, and they'll, and you zone they'll, out. they'll yeah. go outside for a minute. They'll you'll use the restroom, whatever. And sometimes they're not even using the restroom. I think you use the restroom as much as they just need to step out for a minute <laughs> yeah. and, mm-hmm. and kind of uh, yeah. regather themselves. And so understand that if we have that need, that a special needs child will also have that need, but may present itself differently. And may not be would. able to tell you. Right. Either. And express that. I think right that's the key, too, is like we are able to advocate <laughs> yes. for ourselves. That was a big thing we worked on with AJ's advocating for himself. But your special needs student may not be able to advocate yet. They may not even know what's what's going mm-hmm. on. Why do I feel this way? I don't know why I feel this way. And that's when you really see that emotional dysregulation kind of just spiral because they don't know what else to do. So are there any questions that you have about this so far? We've got a microphone, and he's ready to use it, all right, uh, <laughs> if you have a question. Follow up to, to any of that on, on fidgets or visual schedules, either one of those. We'll be glad to take some questions. All right. It was a panel discussion with just the panel, apparently. All right, that's okay. That's all right. If you're enjoying it, that's a blessing. So, um, so, but we have one more section we want to talk about uh, now, and so we'll do that for the next few minutes, and then uh, we will take a break. So this, everything we've talked about really leads into this last question, which is, as a worker in a classroom, what do I do? Like, if I see behavior presenting itself, how do I know if, it's the beginning of emotional dysregulation, mm-hmm. or how do I know if the child's maybe just being a little naughty, or right. a little, I, don't, I don't even know if naughty is the right word, but just being just being a child, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like how do how mm-hmm. do I figure out the difference when I don't have mm-hmm. um, a, a master's in BCBA? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's a very tough question to answer, right? Mm-hmm. Because every child is so unique. I do have to say though that once being an educator myself, before I was a therapist, was that. Um, the biggest thing to do is just to set yourself up for success, right? right? Like get to learn that learner, get to learn their needs first. Um, don't walk in blindly, right? Walk in with the basic understanding of, okay, sound triggers them. Maybe let's focus on how to change the environment in a way where I can control maybe lowering down the sound. Um, you know, and just understanding because every child is so unique. I, I can tell you, I work with all ages. I can work uh, with multiple 
disabilities and and work with children with autism but each child with autism is one child with autism right, right? it's like that right. classic saying right so i think as an educator it's important to just prepare yourself for what those needs might be mm-hmm. and what they might present like in your classroom mm-hmm. um and then sometimes there are going to be days where they just have off days mm-hmm. and i think i i just wanted to add that in there it's okay to have an off day right, right? right. It's right. okay to work with a student that just is not feeling it that day, just mm-hmm. is not up for it that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's also where you look to see, okay, if that is something that will occur, which will um, with at right. least one student, how do I set them up for success for that day? Is it that I lower down my expectations a little bit? You know, maybe mm-hmm. they um, skip out on, um, you know, one activity that might be super structured, but we lower down what we call the response effort, which is the level of effort it takes to respond. Right. And that's what we do oftentimes even for AJ. Right. We, we still teach, right? We still want to work on programs, but maybe we lower down the number of programs we work on or the number of skills that we might work on. And then in a classroom environment, again, like Diane was saying, is having kind of that zen den, that zen corner of having like your bean bag, your social stories. Maybe they had an environmental change at home or someone moved out or whatever it was, you know, um, that that is super important, especially when it comes to changes and going back to the visual schedules. Right. It's important. Life happens. Right. Sure. Things happen last minute where you may not have been able to prepare that learner prior to church. Sure. Um, and I think that that's what we call um, psychological flexibility. It's that flexing of understanding that things change from second to second. And what might be our perfect visual schedule for that Sunday school is probably not going to be happening if something occurs. Right. Right. Um, you know. I can think of a million things, but it's it's really just preparing um, for that consistency, but also preparing for things that might go unexpected. And mm-hmm. like, you know, as Adam and Diane have said, preparing for that is the right. biggest factor and the biggest takeaway here is making sure that you're just not walking blindly into your classroom, not really knowing the needs of your learners. It really is about connecting yeah. with your mm-hmm. with your student. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about noncompliance. Mm-hmm. Um or another way to say that would be disobedience. Mm-hmm. Um, AJ is non-compliant at times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not yep. not everything that your special needs student is going to do in your classroom is because of their special needs. Right. It could just be because they're a kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we're all born sinners and we all struggle with authority and we all struggle with doing things that we don't want to do, right? So how, as a teacher, how, do, how would I handle non-compliant behavior mm-hmm. in in a special needs learner. So, for example, AJ, um, there are things that he's required to do. So um, I'm trying to think of, okay, when he has to go to school, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to go to school. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter. You have to go to school. Right. So we have a plan in place when he shows that non-compliant behavior um, to help him. So if you had a neurotypical child that was like, you know, you need to come and sit down. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not going to come and sit down. Okay, well, you need to come sit down or I'm going to have to go get mom and dad or Mm -hmm. whatever. Like Mm -hmm. we have a plan in place for our neurotypical kids. Mm -hmm. How would you handle that noncompliant behavior, which can very quickly spiral Mm -hmm. into emotional dysregulation? Mm -hmm. How would you handle that in a a classroom setting? Well, um, in ABA, um, there oftentimes is something that we incorporate in our programming is is, uh, antecedent interventions, meaning that what are some things that we can put in place to help prevent some of those meltdowns or some of those um, 
instances of non-compliance mm-hmm. that we say. Um, now, when it comes to understanding compliance and is this a sensory issue, is this a non-compliance issue, um, what I oftentimes tell my behavior therapist is if that child has been able to do that task independently day in, day out, mm-hmm. repeatedly, no prompts or assistance needed, they can do it with full success. And if they're now not doing it, that is a matter of non-compliance, right? Right. Because they are intentionally not complying with that direction. Now, if it's a newer task or a newer concept or a new activity and you're noticing that pushback or that that hesitancy from that learner, then that could be a matter of some sensory processing. Could be that the task is too challenging. Could be that they also don't understand what's expected of them. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. Um, and so looking at those two pieces will help with understanding the difference between sensory or non-compliance. No. An example of that in the classroom would be even something as simple as you have a new student that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, AJ has a really hard time when we have visitors or we have you know a first-time visitor that comes that has a new student because he walks into his classroom and you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> you don't belong here. You're not my people, you know? Yeah. And, and, but that's not non-compliance. Mm-hmm. That's him trying to process new information. And so we have to take the time with him mm-hmm. to set him up so that he, you know, this is our new friend. Go ask. And we have yeah. steps in place. Mm-hmm. He knows he's supposed to go up and he's supposed to say, hi, my name is AJ. What's your name? Welcome to class. And he has this kind of, rhythm mm-hmm. that he goes through when there's a new student. So if you have a special needs learner that you know has trouble when you have new people come into your classroom, have a plan. What am I going to do to help Johnny mm-hmm. when we have a new kid coming class? Um, or maybe it's a substitute teacher mm-hmm. that, that yeah. will send AJ for a spin. Mm-hmm. We have um, a change happening in our church where his longtime Sunday school teacher is leaving and moving to Florida. Mm-hmm. And but we are already working with him mm-hmm. to prepare him for that change. It can't just be that this week Miss Tiplady is his teacher and next week Miss Ruth is his teacher. Mm-hmm. That's not going to work. That and and you have to understand that as a worker. Mm-hmm. That your other kids would will kind of be like, oh, that's weird. Why is Miss Tiplady not here? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but your other kids will also pick up on nuances. Right. Whereas uh, your special needs kid is not going to pay attention. So mm-hmm. maybe your your typical kids heard in church, oh, the tip ladies are leaving. So then your, you know, Peyton would be like, oh, the tip ladies are leaving. Daddy, does that mean that Miss Tip Lady is not going to be my teacher anymore? Mm-hmm. Right? AJ doesn't have that level of functioning. Right. That, that's executive functioning that he does not have. Mm-hmm. So we have to be deliberate in how we help him. But then there are times he goes into class and he's like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to yes. sit down. Yes. No, I want to run around in the parking lot. What do we do for AJ? So this is consistent amongst all behavior management. It doesn't matter if the child has a diagnosis or not, right? And we all have gone through things in our lives where we just don't want to do it, but we have to, right? Like going to the doctors or going to the dentist and getting a root canal, right? Those are not things we want to do, but we have the understanding that we have to do them for the long benefit of our health, right? And so for children that do present with that type of example, um, we do want to teach them that they ultimately do have to complete the task before they are then given something that is preferred. Mm -hmm. So in our science, um, we do have obviously a board of ethics. And one of the biggest things they talk about is 
not just using punishment, but using what is reinforcing. Right. So for example, yes, you don't want to do this activity. I get that. But if you do complete this activity, then this is what is going to be earned in exchange. So, you know, for us, that could be like, oh, that was a really lousy dentist appointment. I'm going to go grab a Starbucks, you know. Right. But right. for kids, it could be, you know, maybe getting access to a fun activity or, you know, maybe they get to listen to a song if they, you know, AJ loves music. So mm -hmm. that's oftentimes what I do for him is if there are mm -hmm. things that he doesn't want to do, which is often the case mm -hmm. sometimes after school, um, he does them because he understands that, yeah, it's kind of crummy to have to do something I don't want to do, but then I get to earn something I love to do. So those are ways to incorporate that. Um, there are ways to incorporate that in uh, the classroom. One way is using a first, then board. So first yes. this, then that, right? Yep. You can use visuals, but you can also use vocal statements. Right. It doesn't necessarily right. have to be always a visual. Right. Um, so that's just like different language to incorporate for noncompliance. We do that with AJ a lot. First you do this, yeah. then you get this. Right. And, um, oh, I had a thought and it's leaving. Hang on. I do have Go to ahead. say he does negotiate with that. Oh, yes. I find it absolutely yes. hilarious. Yes, he um, does. And I, love, and I love that, you know, when I'm when I'm noticing that he's starting to negotiate, I'm like, wow, this is great. Like, he's still yes. advocating. This is right. awesome. Like, right. I love it. Um, you know, one common one that I've experienced is meals. You know, um, two more bites, three more bites. Uh -huh. It's like, one more bite. You know, yeah. he negotiates. He'll negotiate, yeah. So it's, I, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember what I was going to say. Um, it's in, and this is where it's important to know your students because mm -hmm. how are you going to offer them a preferred, we call it a preferred activity. Right. How are you going to offer them a preferred activity if you don't know what they prefer? Right. And so it's really important to know your students, know what lights them up, know right. what makes them excited and keep that special mm -hmm. for those moments. And um, we have a little boy in our, in our junior church. I don't know if you know this song, but he loves the Wiggle Worm song from Patch the Pirate. <laughs> he, like, I have never seen a kid get so excited about a song in my life. He loves it. And so we use that as a tool. Mm -hmm. All right, buddy. I'm not going to say his name because it's recorded. But okay, buddy, if, if you will come and you will do X, Y, Z, then when we're done, we're going to blast the wiggle worm. And he mm -hmm. will comply. Yeah. because And that's teaching him self-regulation. Right. It's teaching him, if I can control myself, mm -hmm. then I can have a reward. Yeah. And, and and it's it's a good skill. After a good day at church, most weeks we go to Cumberland Farms because we live in New England. Uh, is that or Duncan? Uh, right. But uh, we go to Cumberland Farms and uh, for probably a year or two, now it's always sour gummy worms. That's what he wants. Sour gummy worms. Yeah, yeah he, that's what he wants. And so, but he has to earn day, them. He, has to he earn doesn't them. get so, them if he doesn't earn and, them. Uh, and so he knows that's a preferred thing. He prefers. Uh, he loves pizza. I mean, who doesn't? But uh, he uh, for uh, sometimes on Sunday night if it's a really good Sunday, he does well. He'll say, uh, "How about how about dice?" Yeah. And to him, dice is dominoes. dominoes. <laughs> the picture looks like dice, so he's like, "How about dice?" Like, uh, like how about frozen? Uh, so it's cheaper, um, but. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah. So these are all things. Yeah. These are and these are are wonderful things. They've been a help to us. And and sometimes he's a little rat, you know. And he when he sure. knows he's not supposed to be outside, and he runs outside for the fourth time. And, and I'm trying to talk. Oh, yes. And I'm trying to talk to a visitor, and uh -huh. I see him running across. Sometimes he'll back. He'll slowly back uh -huh. away, uh -huh. watching you. Kind of like when I was a kid and I didn't want to eat something, I would. Uh, my parents would always laugh because I, I would stare at my mom across the table. As I was putting it under my mat, kind of like, like hide it. if I yeah, kind of like if I got her in this trance <laughs> that she wouldn't know. And so AJ will do it. He'll back up slowly, watching uh -huh. us to make sure. And then 
he turns these off like a bolt. Don't tell me he doesn't know. I was just going to say, just, see, that proves the, that that's non-compliant. Right. So, right. So, the, so the question, how do how do we respond? Is good. So um, that we got about five minutes. And so if you have any questions for anything we've talked about the last few minutes to follow up, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Is there anyone? Yes. I see you. Yes. We got a question. We got a question. Yes. <laughs> Jamie was getting very lonely back there. All right. Good. <laughs> Oh, that's a good question. So, sure. Um, honestly, and it's not a cop-out, it tends to be a case-by-case um, situation. My first priority is always safety. So if it's not safe for the child and if it's not safe for the other students. But the goal is always integration. Always. So <clears throat> it may be, excuse me, <clears throat> it may be that it, in this por portion of time, it's just way too much to just immediately integrate that child. They're overloaded. The teacher's not prepared. So maybe it's, okay, well, can we, let's go sit in the class for five minutes. Let's go sit in the class for 10 minutes. Let's go sit in the class for 15 minutes. But my personal opinion is always the goal is integration. Always. Um, now, we know some churches that have a... Um, special needs Sunday school class or special needs whatever I think maybe as you as the, as people get older maybe like and have an adult special needs that, Sunday school and, class and where we're going to talk more about that in the last session right yeah, it's where a, the it, teaching it can be you know catered to their intellectual needs but when they're kids the the goal absolutely should be integration with safety being your first concern so is it safe for the child to be in that environment? Is it safe for the other children for this child to be in that environment? Um, and, and that really goes for anything. If I've had people ask me, well, our nursery cutoff is three years old. So when they're three, they're out. And here's the thing. AJ wasn't ready to go into junior church at four or at three. He wasn't. It wasn't safe for him or anybody else. And it was asking something that he was not capable to do yet. He was not developed enough to do it so how cruel of us to ask a child to do something that they are not ready to do yet and so we you know rules are rules but they're they're not it's not the ten commandments yeah. you know and the scripture's silent on uh, what age your nursery cutoff should be and so <laughs> right. because of that uh it just happens to be that that's not a part of the 66 books of the canon so because of right. that um we are allowed to have some wiggle room there and uh, I think but, that, the, but the other side of that is is that but to, to, no it's okay right. so um but uh i'm used to just talking with, with no one getting else to talk to so um but uh with the uh, the the other side of that is is that there was a point in the nursery where we said you know what the other children are not safe there because there's babies and he's right. walking around and he's a big boy and doesn't know his 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 weight and you right. know he could maybe unintentionally right. but hurt one of them yeah. and so yeah. uh, that injured our calculus on that end on the other side of it okay this isn't the best thing for him now and we need to get him into church which we started to integrate him yeah. very slowly so let's let's do if you have one more we got time for one more question can I add a time one. just uh, a yeah just like a just little, a little yeah. that goes for age um, boundaries too so like age we were saying AJ's getting ready to be a teenager there's no way he's going into the teen department um, and just because the classroom starts at sixth grade does not mean you have to put a child in that class if age appropriate, it's not age appropriate for them. So, you know, don't be so stuck on those age boundaries. You know, if AJ needs to be in a younger class because that's where he is more able to be successful and it's not detrimental to 
you know, obviously you're not going to put a 22-year-old in, in the four-year-old class, right? And that's not good for the 22-year-old either. And so, but fluidity yeah. <laughs> is important. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're, we're Baptists. We're rigid about almost everything. But, uh, <laughs> but the problem is, is that where the scriptures are silent, then we must understand that we, we can be, uh, we can change our methodology if, if it's not violating scriptures. Um, last question. This one's free. Thank you, Ben. Uh, so, all right, that's it. Wow. Okay, Anna, you got another one. And so, is that it? Okay. <laughs> it's a, it's a, I put her on the spot. Yeah, okay. Ashley, yeah. Ashley, okay. Has Ashley, one. go ahead. I you just, get, I think it's the last word. Yeah. I figured this would be a great thing to just jot down for educators. Um, so, Diane was saying that we call non uh, or preferred activities, you know, preferred activities, right? Activities that they prefer. Um, as a behavior analyst, it's my responsibility to understand what those are. And one easy way to do it in your classroom is to have all toys activities accessible, maybe on that child's first day, and then have a stopwatch and record how long they're interacting with whatever toy or activities in your room. And then at the end of your day, you can see, oh, they actually really liked, you know, the story corner or they really liked... Um, you know, the block corner, or they really like sitting at the table and coloring, you right. know, because that was accessible. And it's it's a natural way. Um, we call it a free obs or a free observant um, observant uh, preference assessment, where we're just simply recording their natural state in a new environment, interacting mm -hmm. with the toys and activities that are in there. So I just figured yeah. to. Toss it in there in your toolbox for um, educators. It's a great way of understanding what those preferred activities are. And you can also do that on a separate day from your Sunday. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you have a special needs family coming to your church, grab the parent and say, hey, can we set up a time where little Johnny can come and observe the classroom? I highly recommend that, period. Yeah. Yeah. Have them come on a non-church day where the building is quiet. Let them come. Observe your classroom. Mm -hmm. Let them touch everything. Yeah. Everything, the visuals, let them touch all of it. Let them get familiar with it. It's their space, mm -hmm. and they make it their space, and then have bring out all the toys that you wouldn't necessarily have out on a Sunday, mm -hmm. but they can kind of find, you'll find what they like. Yeah, and it's fun. It makes the experience fun, right? I'm in this right. new room. It's not scary because I have all these cool things I get to explore, and there's no one telling me not to touch things or, you know, not to play with them. So it creates... And there's no expectation. Yeah, and it creates yeah. that concept that we use so much in ABA is pairing. It's pairing an environment with a positive experience, right? Um, AJ and I have worked together for so long that I do have that positive relationship. AJ is not screaming and running out the door when he sees me, right? And that's because I've taken the time yeah. and everyone on his team has taken the time to build that relationship. So it's mm -hmm. no different when you have a new student.